Hello, and welcome to the One Heart Podcast. I am your host, Matt Allred. On this show, we interview real people with real lives, and we are open, raw, and honest. We talk about things that hurt, things that heal, and we are vulnerable so that we may truly become of one heart. Today, we are talking with Tanya Cox. Tanya is married to her high school sweetheart. She is the mother of five children with six grandchildren and one more on the way. Tanya graduated from Brigham Young University, Idaho with a bachelor's degree in marriage and family studies and has worked as a rapid eye technician and life skills coach for over 18 years. Tanya loves the gospel of Jesus Christ and is passionate about healing hearts and homes. Tanya, welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you agreed to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. Obviously, we've talked a little bit before, but I think this is going to be a, a great opportunity to, to talk more completely, more um, fully about what I'm calling one heart, or as Brene Brown would say, wholeheartedness. And so I'm curious, I, I would just like to ask you, when, when did you first come into contact with this idea of of being of wholeheartedness or, or maybe that you needed some healing in your own life? Um, you know, when I, I first came in contact with this idea of, of healing, I, I didn't really, I didn't know anything like it existed. Um, I just was raised very, you know, pioneer stock. You do the hard things uh, and you just get through life. You just put your shoulder to the wheel and, and you keep going. And um, I was at a time that my mother was experiencing severe depression and I was very concerned. I'm the oldest of six kids. I had two younger siblings still in the home that were teenagers and giving her a terrible time. And she had a hard marriage and she just was really experiencing a um, heavy depression. And I was concerned about her. And one day um, after a family reunion, there were a few of us just sitting around my grandmother's living room and my mother's sister, my aunt said to her, let me help you with something. And she worked with her and just helping her to feel more whole in essence, to gather her parts and pieces. My mother felt like she was just so scattered that she couldn't even stand. And I saw my mother's countenance just in talking with my aunt about reaching out and, and being more whole. I saw my mother's countenance change. Right. And I said to my aunt, I, I want to understand this. And, and she said, I said, I want to do something. I want to understand this. And so as she was visiting with me, um, we talked about this false belief that I was an angry person. And I grew up in a home where I had a father that just raged and was abusive and not necessarily always, not physically. There was some physical, but that wasn't the main part of it. And I was very much like my father. My father's also an amazing man. It has so many gifts and talents and abilities. And, and I found myself, I was much like him. And I felt this fire in my belly all the time. And I was constantly seeking to keep it subdued. I didn't want to be like him in that raging and anger. And so I was constantly trying to keep this fire subdued in my stomach. And so she had me release the false belief that I was an angry person. And I felt that emotion of anger just flow out of my stomach and just leave my body. And then she was kind of chit-chatting while this was happening. And then she turned to me and say, and said, okay, it's done. I'm like, yeah, it, it is. It had I, it stopped. I felt that emotion stop moving. And she said, and now let's fill you with love and light. And I felt from my head to my toes, to my fingertips, just filled with the love and light of God. 
and and I just I felt a shift. Right. I felt a shift within my body. And I thought there's something here that I need to learn and understand. There's something here for me. And the atonement had always been an abstract thing to me, the atonement of Jesus Christ sure. that I knew could heal me, that I knew could help me, that I knew could help me overcome things. But I just thought, put your shoulder to the wheel and just keep doing what's right and stay on the right course and it'll all be okay. And I didn't know until that night, until that moment, what it meant to really heal. That was my first experience to really know what it meant to heal and to feel that power of the atonement in my life. That's awesome. It sounds like, yeah, huge shift, but also a huge awakening that I can apply the atonement of Christ to, to actually in, in the moment. That's, that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is too often. I know I've, I've thought of the atonement as kind of this abstract thing that, yeah, I'm going to slog through life. And then someday after I die, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe I'll feel better. Um, but I know for myself when I've been slogging through life and trying to do everything right and trying to live up to my own image of perfection mm-hmm. that I've also been very isolated from others, very cut off from myself, very um, depressed and, and anxious and all kinds of horrible ways to live. And I don't, I don't think that's what Christ had in mind. So it's, I appreciate you bringing that up. And in fact, it, it brings us to the next point. We had talked a little bit about what we call the atonement in action and you've, done a great job I kind of speaking to that. How, how do you view the atonement in action? Well, I, and that's where that was my first experience. And I have to say, I didn't feel like my life was awful. I, I felt very happy in my life. I felt very productive and successful. I was doing the good things. I didn't know it could be better. Right. I think that's the thing. My mother was in a really hard place. And she really needed some help. And I was concerned about her. And I saw that start to shift and change. But for myself, I thought I, I was good. I was keeping that fire under control. I didn't know that I could be free. I didn't know it could be better. And so coming back to your question, um, as I put this in action, I came to understand that Christ really in Gethsemane, he won the battle. He absorbed and transformed all that pain. The physical pain, the emotional pain, the sure. mental pain, um, the the traumas that we experience. I mean, that was early in my life. I I did have I was expecting my fifth baby, but I hadn't had a huge amount. I've had tr- I had had challenges and struggles, but sure. there were much more ahead of me for me in my life as I look back then. But that Christ was able to in Gethsemane, He won this battle. He won this battle with all the darkness, all the darkness, all the pain of this world, and He rose triumphant. And I guess for me, I feel like he metabolized the poison. And now he invites us to forgive, to let it go, to give it to him. And then receive, receive that healing that that he offers us. He was triumphant and he's inviting us to be triumphant and that it doesn't have to be so hard. It can be simple. He's already, he's already taken, he's already experienced it. And And so he knows me perfectly. And if I hang on to it, I'm actually denying the power of Christ in my life. I'm denying the atonement. I often think, you know, this is, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and this is the Church of the One. Sure. One by one, we are brought and we are blessed and given a name and a blessing. One by one, we are baptized and we enter a covenant path. One by one, we attend the temple and make further covenants with God and promises and ble- receive further blessings. 
on my one we are married to uh, a companion there when christ came to the apostles um excuse me when he came to um, america and he met with the people there um one by one they came and they witnessed for themselves they touched his right. hands and his feet um, so this is the church of the one and understanding that for me i understand that one by one he took our name to the temple of gethsemane I and love that. Uh, he knows perfectly how i feel and knows perfectly my pain and there's been many times in my life where i thought nobody understands and i've heard him whisper i do and I know that's true because he took my name to the temple of Gethsemane. And so he invites me. He invites me to be cleansed and to be whole and to receive the triumphant healing that he offers. And so it can be simple. That day it was simple. It, it wasn't, it didn't have to be this whole huge thing. Um, it was simple that I was willing to let go of my limiting belief. Um, and my aunt helped me identify it. I didn't know. I, I had a limiting belief. I was an angry person. I felt the anger. Sure. Realized I had identified with it. And when she helped me see that, I was like, oh yeah, I had that support. And it's then I was willing to let it go. Yeah. It's interesting here. You say it when, and when you say, you know, give it to Christ, I've heard that, you know, many times, but I've struggled throughout my life to even know, what are you talking about? You want me to give him my broken leg? Do you want me to give him? Um, but you spoke to it just a second ago when you said my limiting belief because I, I find in my own life, it's really the belief that I'm fighting against. It's the belief that's causing the pain and the anger and, and you know, life will, will happen to us. And then we react, we respond. And I know for a lot of my life, I felt like I was just kind of spinning in circles or as Nephi would say, tearing in the wilderness. It's like, why, why do I feel like I keep going through this, this same things? And I, I do believe that it was a lot of beliefs that I had taken on about myself. I mean, the scriptures mm -hmm. say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And there are a lot of sources, if you will, for beliefs, um, whether it's social media or friends or family that like to pigeonhole and say, hey, you're this, you're this kind of person, or, or we'll just take those on ourselves and say, oh, I must be this because I keep doing X. How, yeah. how has... I guess, because you were speaking about it, how has the knowledge that you can actually give those beliefs to Christ affected the work that you do or the work that you've experienced? Well, it drives it all. I, I To bring Christ into our lives and to rise triumphant, you know, you talk about those beliefs. And just like the color of our hair and the color of our eyes were passed down from our parents, so are family beliefs, family sure. traditions. They're in our DNA. So we have those that are passed down to us through the generations. We have those that are learned behaviors from the time we enter this world. We enter this world in birth, and that's actually quite a big trauma. Sure. And it's perfectly set up to set up these limiting beliefs. And, and so we experience these limiting beliefs, and they feel painful to us. They don't feel like they fit. And, and we, we feel that pain. We have experiences that push our buttons, I say. But, and I've learned... When we get our patents pushed, it's a woohoo moment because then we're being shown something that we believe or think or feel that does not resonate with us. And we can then repent. I mean, that's what repentance is. It's so simple. It's changing directions. Sure. 
And it's allowing, it, bringing him into it. We can't do this on our own. We bring him into it. We bring the savior into it. And we say, I'm feeling this way. I'm believing this way. And I'm willing to forgive myself, forgive it to the savior. I'm willing to forgive another, forgive it. Um, I had an experience once where I actually was at church. I was a primary president and I was visiting with someone about one of the needs in our families. And another man walked up, her husband walked up and he had shared some information. And I was so mad. I'm like, this wasn't a conversation with you. You don't know the whole story. And, and I just, I was so angry. I felt that anger activated and anger to me shares that there's something out of line here, but I also have learned not to spew my anger. (laughs) So I just said to him, as I'm trying to understand what's happening, but I'm recognizing my body's in absolute turmoil. And I just said to him, that's not how we do things. And I turned and I walked out the sacrament meeting room down the hall to primary. And I just started crying. I was burning hot tears. I was so upset. And then all of a sudden I started laughing. I'm like, he pushed my button. button. (laughs) And so this, this experience, instead of going from this place of just anger and rage and frustration and hurt, also was like, that's mine. I took hundred percent responsibility for how I think and feel. And, and I was able to then talk to Heavenly Father, what am I thinking, feeling, and believing in this moment that's causing me to feel this pain? And so instead of it being this thing of, of pain, it became a woohoo moment, and it became a moment of growth. And, and I was kind of excited. <laughs> so that was a moment where the, these things started coming into more of a natural flow for me, and, and I could see that. Um, after I had that experience with my own anger and being an angry person, I wanted so much to know and understand what was this? How did this happen? Right. And to understand the system, God is a God of order and God has a completely beautiful, perfect order. And so that began a, a lifelong um, journey of learning about that order. I, I went on to um, become a rapid eye technician and train in rapid eye at the Salem Institute and uh, the Institute in Salem, Oregon. And I got to learn more about the science behind this. And that was fascinating to me and exciting to me. So, right. you know, I was able to establish myself in a holistic view of this, but it really just comes back down to that simple thing of inviting others to come into Christ, to know him, to find healing for themselves as they um, come to see maybe those false beliefs that they're holding that no longer serve them. One of the most common ones is that we're not good enough. Oh, yeah. Which, I felt that. Yeah, I felt that too. And that comes back to the pre-existence in my, in our belief systems as members of the church, um, there's this pre-existence. We had a council and in this council, there was a discussion. Holy father says, I have a plan and he lays out the plan. And then we have Lucifer who stands up and says, Hey, if you do this, you're going to fail. You're not going to be good enough. Sure. And so you need to choose me and I'll make you do it. And then Christ that stepped forward and, and had exercised faith in that plan and said, I, I could follow that plan and, and I will be the savior and make it possible. And so this common thread of not being good enough, this belief of not being good enough is a diabolical devilish belief that began in the preexistence and we brought it with us. I've never thought of it that way because yeah, it's, it's certainly been a huge part of my life and, and so many others, but I've never thought of it going back that far, but I can absolutely see that because that's, that's the Satan's plan. He likes to plant all these things that go against who we are eternally. He doesn't want us to really believe we're a child of God. It's easy to sing the song in primary, 
but is it easy to really take that in, breathe in and say, Hey, I'm feeling like a child of God. That's been well, a hard one for me to learn. The power, the power in God's plan that we can have faith. It really was a, a, a war of fear or faith. Sure. Absolutely. We have, we have fear or do we have faith? And that whole war in heaven, we had a whole war about fear and faith. And those that chose to have faith, faith in Heavenly Father's plan and faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement. And those that chose to fear it. Sure. And we had this war and those that chose to stay in fear were sent cast down here. Mm-hmm. So they continue to sow fear within us that I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'll never measure up. I need to hide if I make a mistake. It's not safe to make a mistake. Take feedback or learn new ways. Right. And so many of our learning beliefs are, are authored by Satan. Oh, absolutely. Who wants absolutely. to keep us in darkness. And I guess that's the thing. It's, it's darkness and light. It's just the opposite. Fear and faith, darkness and light, love, unlove and love. And I think it's what really you're pointing out. And what, what comes to mind is, is I believe it's Matthew seven, where Jesus talks about the, the beam and the moat and to really look at myself takes a lot of faith. And it's really, really scary. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to see all the dirt that that's inside of me. I don't really want Jesus to show me all my weakness. Like, you know, ether 12, 27, if you come unto me, I will show your weakness. That's, that's a scary place to be. And it's so much easier to stand back and blame other people and point mm-hmm. fingers mm-hmm. and not have to take responsibility for my own self and say, no, this it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. Um, so what you're inviting us to do is, is exactly that. Stop, take a look at yourself, invite the savior in, and then allow him to take those parts of you that are, that are so painful. And that's something I've been exposed to just in the last few years, but it's, it's been monumental. It's been so eye-opening and it's in so many ways that I, I, I'm, you know, kind of sad that I didn't know that for a long, a lot more of my life that I'm, you know, mid to late forties now. And it's, I feel like I'm just starting to maybe wake up and grow up a little bit. Maybe, but there's eternal progression. So I hope there's compassion for the journey that brought you here. You yeah. know, I was talking to someone and we had, I uh, working with one of my clients and we'd unveiled a false belief. Well, they unveiled a belief. We'd unveiled a belief that was bringing pain. And they said, but it's true. And there were so many evidences. And, and there was. There was. We can have so many evidences of those things that we hold that we're not good enough or we're unloved or, or that our needs don't matter or whatever it is. And, and she said, it's true. And she's telling me all the evidences. And I said, yes, it is true. That is true. The question is, are you willing to relinquish that truth for a higher truth? Are you willing to move to a new truth? And I think that's something too that I've learned here is, is it's about seeing as God sees, lifting our perceptions and our viewpoints and coming to this higher place um, of love, of loving God and loving ourselves. That really is the flow. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, might, mind, and strength. Sure. And then love thy neighbor as thyself. We kind of skip. You got to love yourself. You oh, got to know so that love. You got to know that love of God. Bring it into your body, into your heart, into your mind. Love yourself, and only then can you truly love another. I believe that's absolutely and, true. It's it's been a hard one for me to learn because I I know much of my life I've wanted to go serve someone so I could be validated, so I could gain some you know some nice words about me. Um, 
and that's to me that's not really giving that's that's taking um well i I just think it's it's a learning process so here's the thing is our our love our value has absolutely nothing to do okay with with our doings our doings show what we desire and what we want and so when we are in our doings trying to show our value that is a false belief that's a truth but it's a truth that's going to lend to pain and to darkness. And right. what we're looking to is to be in the light with Christ, right? To be one with him. And in that oneness, in that truth, we are divine sons and daughters of God that are a magnificent and beautiful. And we're just here to practice agency, to learn the good from the evil, to experience the cause and the effect in what works and what doesn't work. One of my favorite scripture stories about this that really impacted my life um, is the story of Peter. And Peter is this strong, valiant disciple of Jesus Christ. And Christ says to him, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, not so, Lord. I, I would never do that. Right. And yet as the night unfolds, that's what takes place. Three times, Peter denies Christ. And the third time, right after the third time, the cock crowed. And Christ looked out the window and their eyes met and Peter left and he wept bitterly. And in this moment, he learned what he was not. He was not a denier of Jesus Christ. So become what he could become what he truly was a great testifier of Christ in so much that he was willing to give his life for that testimony. And so we experience that too. We experience what we're not. And as we have experiences, like I shared that experience I had with someone at church, we have this experience and we get our buttons pushed and we feel the pain of it. Peter felt the absolute anguish of that. We feel the anguish of what we're believing, thinking, feeling that that doesn't feel good. The truth we're holding that it can't absolutely has evidence can be true. But is there a higher truth? Can we metabolize that poison? Can we be willing to say, I'm willing to let go of this false belief and hear what is the higher truth and let the spirit teach us. Right. I am loved. I am precious. And let that belief take place and settle in our soul, that softness. And that is the strengthening, enabling, healing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That we can be at peace in the eye of any storm because we hold those truths. And it's empowered by our agency. That's what I hear over and over. And what you're saying is, is you choose or Peter choose, you know, chose. I mean, he could have chosen a different path. He could have said, no, I'm going to keep on this path, but he, he chose to, to repent and say, no, I'm, that's not who I'm choosing to be. But he chose to repent because he felt the pain of it and he knew that's not what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And we all have the power to, to choose to me is such a powerful gift to say, yes, I've felt this. I felt it intensely, but that's not what I choose. That's not Exactly. Exactly. And that comes back to the choice. Are we choosing to walk in that place where the love of God can reside with us? Are we choosing to love God with all of our heart, mind and strength and love ourselves? So then we can lift and love others. We can't lift anyone to any higher ground than that upon which we stand. And so I've got to do my own work. I've got to take responsibility, 100% responsibility for how I think, feel, and act. And that doesn't mean that other people don't hurt me or that I hurt them. If we can have compassion, that it's safe to make mistakes and take feedback and learn new ways. That's what we're here to do. And the atonement of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to do that. 
And that's hard. Maybe it's the parent in me, you know, culturally, it's like, um, how do we, <laughs> how do we make room for that? That's, that seems where I, like where I've been stuck a lot of times is um, just allowing that, that the atonement is about tasting the bitter so we can know the sweet. And yet sometimes mm -hmm. we want to shame somebody into a position of, no, you can't cross that line. And if you ever do cross that line, you know, you, you'll never come back. I remember um, somebody in, I think it was priesthood meeting talking about the, the prodigal son, how he left and, and his comment was, well, he'll never be on the other, the level of his older brother. I'm like, no, that's not, that's, that's not the lesson here. Um, you know, you could, you could envision him as a newly, you know, reactivated member. It doesn't mean he can never go to the temple just because he went off and lived this lifestyle with the swine, but he's on his way returning. He's coming back. So there's anyway, I've, I've confronted that a few times with this notion that the shame needs to keep us stuck instead of allowing us to experience and grow and repent. Well, and again, that boy left and he learned what he was not. Sure. So he could return to his father and become who he truly was. And, and we have to, again, it comes by this faith and fear, this love. We do want to encourage others to stay on the covenant path. We know the blessings and the love that's there, but we also need to remember there's agency. And that we have a powerful savior who is more powerful than our sins, more powerful than our weaknesses, more powerful than Satan's power. Sure. And he loves us and we love him and we are in a covenant relationship. And so when we feel like no one can ever come back or they're going to be lost forever, we're denying it, it, it's an antichrist belief. We're yeah. denying the power of Christ and we forget that we have this life. And the next life and a thousand years of millennium to work at our salvation. That is a half a long time <laughs> to experience what we're not and to truly choose into who we want to be. And God is a God that loves us. He has, he gave us three degrees of glory and even the murderers <laughs> get a degree of glory sure. because Christ redeemed them from the darkness. Yeah. So our choices just show what do we want? Do, do we want to have all the father has? Or, and, and I'm someone that is like that. I want it all. I, there's a song, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, there's a song in that, the old one, where she's like, I want the world. I want the whole world. Give it to me now. I mean, <laughs> I just so resonate with that. Right. Um, but that not everyone feels the way that I do. And that's okay. God loves them. And he honors their agency. And he will bless them with all that they desire to have. And I think that comes back to this atonement in action. All that we desire to receive, it's there for us. It's already been done as quickly as we choose into it. And some people choose to stay in pain and struggle, and that's okay too. That's okay. They're continuing to learn and grow at their own place. Yeah. I like the way you said that because what we want can change, and it does change. And mm -hmm. I may want something that's not in my best interest. Well, then I go out and taste the bitter. And I'm, hmm. I think I want sweet and I can, I can change that. Peter wanted to maybe escape the possibility of also getting crucified. And so he denied, but afterwards it was like, okay, I didn't taste as good as I wanted. I'm, I'm willing mm -hmm. to be more courageous next time. Mm -hmm. And just being patient. We are, are humans having human experience. And I, that's just so much what I learned. I guess 
I grew up, I'm the oldest of six. I want to please my parents. I want to please everybody. I want to do what they want me to do. I want to be a good girl. Sure. And I made some choices and I wasn't such a good girl. And I thought my life was over and I could never like that prodigal son that I could never be okay. And I, the Lord blessed me enough and surrounded me with people that saw the truth and helped me see the truth that I was okay. And um, that it was okay for me to make a mistake and to learn a new way. It was okay for me to experience what I was not. And I even just, my, my mother's lived with me in the last three years. And, and my mother is such, I mean, she's a wonderful, blessed woman, but that was something she too learned. Um, She too had a father that raged. And so you did all you could to be perfect. So you didn't get in trouble. Right. Right. And there's that fear. And so she taught that to me and I experienced that. Well, she was here and we were talking about something and I just turned to her and again, felt that pressure. It was my, my perception, but I felt that pressure to be perfect and you can't make a mistake. And I turned to her and I said, mom, it's okay for me to make a mistake. It's okay for me to learn a new way. It's okay for me. And I, I felt like as an adult, I am <laughs> nearly 50 years old. I'd be 50 this year that I had, even as a 50 year old, I'm claiming it's, it's okay. I have to claim that truth again and sure. again. And I think that's something to keep in mind too, is we work on cleaning up those false beliefs and bringing in truth, but we also have life skills. And if we keep doing what we're doing, we keep getting what we get. Right. And so as we bring in those new beliefs, we start to be awake and aware and start making new choices. And we have to reaffirm that truth. Just as we are reaffirmed that false belief with all the truths there, as we, we, we receive a new truth, Right. Then we need to make new choices in that truth and recognize when we start to turn back, you know, we tend to turn back to what we know or to our habits and we need to form a new habit in that truth. That's interesting. And I like the way you, you've kind of brought this full circle where it started out with the plan of salvation, faith and fear. And so often in my life, I've been so afraid of making the wrong choice. I didn't make a choice. And then the choice is made by default because I didn't choose. Mm-hmm. And that's not agency. It's not faith. It's not trusting in the plan or in my savior. And so I guess the the message that's coming through for me is just, yes, it's okay to make a mistake. And at the same time, I need to have compassion for myself. I need to have compassion for everybody else on this journey because not only are we taught not to judge them, but if I were in their situation and if I had gone through their life, I probably would have made the exact same choices. So anytime I'm judging somebody or blaming somebody, to your point earlier, I need to stop, look at myself and, and figure out what it is. What's, what's the button? What's the trigger that's, mm-hmm. that's lighting up for me so that I can surrender that to the Savior and, and step up instead of continuing to tarry in the wilderness. And love more perfectly. Absolutely. Instead of walking away from that brother, being so mad at him and having this divide, I felt love for him. He showed up for me to show me my button. And I felt so much gratitude and love for him instead of judging and condemning and blaming him. And, and I think that's it. Again, we're learning to be perfect and loving. That's who our heavenly father is. Sure. He is perfect and loving. We have this discourse in the scriptures um, when Christ was, speak, was speaking in, when he was with them in Jerusalem, um, that he was teaching them this whole beautiful discourse about be the beatitudes and he says in there be therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect right well we take that out of the whole discourse he was talking about loving 
He was talking about loving. So when he says, be therefore perfect, he's saying, be therefore perfect and loving, Hmm. even as your father in heaven is perfect and loving. And it wasn't until after Gethsemane and the cross where Christ came to know and understand each of us perfectly, that then he could say the Nephites, be therefore perfect even as I and your father in heaven are perfect. Again, put it back in context. Be there perfect and loving, even as I and your father in heaven are perfect and loving, because they see and understand it all, because they know us perfectly, the good, the bad, the ugly, and they love us. And they know that our doings don't determine our worth or our love. And my daughter is a marriage and family therapist, and she always says, all behavior makes sense in context. Sure. All. Sure. And so when we come back again to that moment, as I took ownership for my button and, and what I, my false belief was and was willing to let it go and find out what the truth was about myself, I learned to love myself better. I loved God. I turned to him and his love. Right. I allowed his love to heal me. And then I felt love for another. And, and that's the perfection of loving. We're here to learn to love perfectly. That's what we're here to learn to do. I love that. That's beautiful. And I, I think... I was going to ask you, you know, if you had one, you know, final lesson to share as we kind of wrap this up, but, but that sounds like it's it. That is learning to love perfectly is, is there maybe a way to apply that that you can share? And the reason I say a way to apply that is I struggled for so long just to like myself. And I felt like I had to prove myself over and over and over. And, and yet I failed every time I would, I've set out to, Oh, I'm going to, do this so I can look great and, and try to get this validation. I felt like I was, I was failing. I never lived up to my own expectations or desired expectations. Um, just, I'm just curious if you have a, you know, one bit of advice on, on how to really start to take that in. What we put our focus on grows. And so putting our focus on that love um, and to share here for a moment, another story. I have a daughter that is a precious, beautiful, amazing girl. And I saw her always seeking to serve service as her love language. But I saw her seeking to serve. So I think that she could be valued and loved. And, and I had, she was expecting her first baby. And I've been looking forward to this because I wanted to teach her something that she didn't quite seem to have a holding place for. Right. Um, we need to have a place for it to fit, that puzzle piece to fit. So she was expecting her baby. And I'd gone to stay with her as we awaited the arrival of this baby. And I said to her, do you love this baby? And she said, oh, so, so much. And I said, why? What has he done to deserve your love? And she thought about that for a moment. And I said, that's how I feel about you. And that's how Holy Father feels about us. We don't need to do anything. We love, we are loved because we exist. So I think that's one of the first things is we have to value and understand God's love for us. One of the things that we can do that's a simple way to do this is to pray and um, pray always. We're counseled in the scriptures to pray. Nephi gives us this way to change and to learn to grow. And he says to pray always. And so my invitation is to pray 10, 15 times a day. Put, put, put a, something on, put a penny in your shoe or alarm on your phone or wear your watch on the other hand or something that's going to bug you. And, remind, and every time you get bugged, 
or you're reminded, you'll take a moment, you'll say, Heavenly Father, thank you for helping me feel thy great love for me. And continue to do that until you can feel it. Um, I actually had a client, this has been a big stumbling block and his healing is not loving himself. And so we had that discussion about his, his grandchildren and his children and how he feels about them. So I think be able to focus on where you have loved someone or felt love, not, nothing to do with doings and come into that higher truth that God is love and that we are loved. And then I think as we come into his love and allow his love in, that helps us begin to love ourselves. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I love the, the story you gave about your, your daughter and, and grandson, because I feel like it's been a few years ago, but that was kind of that the same epiphany, same light bulb that went off in my head when I, I think I was 45 years old before I could say, I love myself. And, and I cried. It was, it was such a powerful experience because I, I felt like I had to earn it. So thank you for just bringing that to the forefront and helping us realize that we can choose to just love ourselves and love others. And we don't need to, to earn our worth. We have to divide it. We have to divide our worth and our love from our doings. Absolutely. We have to divide them. And that's one of the first steps and coming unto Christ and letting that truth be there. God is love. God loves perfectly and he can help us learn to love as well. Thank you. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Tanya. It's been a pleasure and I hope to be able to do this again in the future. Thank you. It's good to be here too. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the One Heart Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and check us out online at oneheartonelight.org.